Well, good morning. Uh, last service, I failed to introduce myself. My wife pointed that out. Uh, so I'm Pete Kokus. I'm the family pastor here. I teach the youth on Wednesdays and on Sundays. Normally, uh, I'm making sure that all our kids are getting taught, um, which is a job I just absolutely love. But if I'm reading between the lines correctly of what my wife was saying, let me assure you I'm not the guy you have to hear from every week. There you go. Um, this morning... Uh, I'm, I'm tasked with talking about suffering. Yay! Fun times. Um, it's a big topic, and what to do about suffering is, is something that I think every Christian and, and atheist realistically will ask. Um, so it's good to have some answers for it if we can. And um, I, was, I was introduced to suffering from a really young age, so I got a history with it. Some of my earliest memories are uh, lying awake at night while the house was uh, silent and dark, and I was struggling for my next breath because I had already taken my inhaler and uh, gotten out of the serious trouble of my throat being completely closed, but my lungs would not provide the next breath on their own. I had to do that for them because I had severe asthma, and it would hit hard and often, and so there were many nights, uh, I, I remember from, from the time I was a toddler, that I just be suffering for my next breath until the sun came up or until my lungs opened up enough for me to go to sleep. And usually about the time they did, the sun came up. Um, so I'd go to school pretty tired or, or go about whatever it was. And uh, I would go on to have uh, other things going on like uh, severe allergies and, and, and major skin issues and uh, being a University of Missouri football fan. Um, so... I, I learned a lot about suffering. Um, it's something I've known my whole life, and unfortunately it didn't end then. Most recently, um, some of the suffering that I've gone through is um, the story of infertility that my wife and I have dealt with, and miscarriage, and, and all the issues and heartbreak that have come with that. Uh, and in the midst of all this suffering, uh, I've asked a lot of questions of God. I've felt uh, a whole range of emotions, and uh, I've, I've done some research and tried to learn on it, and today my hope is that I can share from my personal experience, but also about what the Bible would have to say about suffering. So um, before I go any farther, I'm, I know we've already prayed a bunch, but I'm going to pray. Uh, Father, this morning uh, we're just glad that you're here with us. We're glad that you gave us your words so that we can study it. And, uh, and Lord, hopefully rightly divide it today. I pray that you wouldn't let my personal experience outweigh what you have to say, but it would come through uh, your word and that uh, you would speak to us this morning and you would change us because uh, our hope and our answers lie only in you and not in any earthly wisdom. So we pray that you would speak to us this morning, God, and that you would use me and uh, help me get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, you can smile, it's okay. I know we're talking about suffering, but you can still smile. <laughs> suffering is uh, it's a very prominent topic throughout the Bible. It, it takes up actually a, a fairly large portion of the Bible. And as you know, the Bible is a pretty large book. So today, uh, realistically, I'm only going to be able to skim the surface of suffering. And there's a lot of people, even after first service, who talked to me and said, uh, you kind of piqued my interest and now I, I want to go study more. And I'd say, go study it more. Uh, don't just take what I have to say. Uh, research it. Look into it. Read some books. There's some good stuff out there. Um, 
and some of the books that uh, I'd recommend that have helped me along the way, um, one, of the, one of the top ones I'd say is C.S. Lewis's uh, The Problem of Pain. That's C.S. Lewis' Problem of Pain. That's a good book. Uh, another one that I would also recommend for those of you who are looking to do your own research, a little bit lighter reading, is uh, Philip Yancey's Where is God When It Hurts? Uh, Philip Yancey, Where is God When It Hurts? Uh, I recommend both of those. They helped me, and I might even reference them today. Um, but in the limited amount of time we have, as we talk about what to do with suffering, I, I, I just thought maybe we could try and attack three of the main questions that are logical to me that everybody wants to know. And then first one is, why is there suffering? Uh, I think everybody wants to start there. Even if they're not going through it, they still want to know why it's there. Two, uh, what's the point of my suffering? So on a more personal level, why do we go through suffering? What's your situation uh, about? And the third one is, what should I do about it? So as we get started, why is there suffering? Well, we got to go to the beginning of suffering to see why it's there. And so we're going to go to the beginning of the Bible because that's where it enters. And we're going to go chapter 3 of Genesis. Uh, so if you're in version, hopefully the notes are in there for you. If not, you're using your good old-fashioned uh, paper Bible, you old-fashioned people, you. Uh, chapter 3 should be pretty easy to find. Verse 16 is where we're starting, and let me set up for you. Uh, in Genesis, we know, hopefully uh, a lot of you already know this, that uh, creation happened. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. Uh, it's a great place to be. By all accounts, it's so comfortable you can be naked. That's great. Um, they get food. They get perfect harmony with the nature around them, perfect harmony with each other, and perfect harmony with God. They spend time with Him on a daily basis. It was a wonderful thing, and they screwed it up, those big dummies. Um, and because they, they disobeyed, there's discipline that comes with disobedience, right? Yeah, and so uh, this is what God says starting in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Amen, women? In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. The whole earth is cursed. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. So there's your answer. There's the beginning of suffering. Um, and it's really important that we stop here and take a look at this because we, we like to zoom past this and find other answers, but this is really where our answer is for where suffering enters. Um, and it's important to note that God didn't sit down with Adam and Eve at a table and say, all right, uh, let's hash this out. I want to enter into a sensible cause and effect style of suffering I want to make sure that it's equally doled out among each person and that it's something that you approve of and understand. So if that's okay with you, would you sign on the line? He, did, he didn't say that. He said, you're going to suffer. And he did say it will end. Did, when did he say it will end? Well, when you die. 
Uh, he said, you're going to suffer all the days of your life. That's a guarantee. It's a biblical guarantee. And it's critical that we understand that that is where suffering starts. It's a guaranteed part of a fallen world. Okay? Please understand that. Suffering is a guaranteed part of a fallen world. God himself made the promise that you will suffer in this life. God follows through on his promises. Is there anybody out there who feels like God has missed them so far? It's coming. (laughs) Sorry. Okay? Mankind was made for something that we aren't actually a part of. And that's why suffering feels so wrong. You were made to be part of an earth where you were in perfect harmony with everything. You were wired for perfection. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. No, no, I'm saying you were wired to experience perfection. And you're not experiencing it. It should feel wrong. The reason suffering feels wrong is you were made for heaven, not a fallen earth. So it's going to feel wrong, and it's going to feel wrong when you see it happening to other people too. That's okay. Suffering is, in essence, wrong. It's not God's eternal will for you. Okay? Know that ahead of time. That's the spiritual and heart aspect of it. I, I, I want to talk to you about what Philip Yancey says in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? He talks about physical pain and suffering. And, and this might help put it in context for some of you. So he talks about, um, there's, this, there's this wish that I think a lot of us have that we wish we didn't feel pain, like physical pain. We, we wish we didn't have to go through that. And there are actually people who don't have to go through physical pain. They can't feel it. And actually, it's a horrific problem. Because they can't feel pain, what happens to these people is they end up doing massive damage to their own bodies that they don't know they're doing. And when harm is happening to them, their hand could be resting on a stove and they wouldn't know it, damaging them irreparably. The pain that we feel is actually far more beneficial than if we didn't feel it. There'd be more pain if we didn't feel pain. Does that make sense? There'd be more damage. So likewise, in your spirit and in your heart, when you're saying, oh, there's something here that's wrong and it hurts and it's, oh, I don't like it, that's good. Because what that's doing is it's showing you this, there's something wrong. There's something that needs to be fixed. It's good for you that you understand that. This is not your home, okay? Um, There's going to be suffering in this life. There's just no way around it. You don't want to be spiritually numb to that. It'd be bad for you. So, why is there suffering? Well, because God promised it. Uh, The next logical question from there, though, is, okay, God promised it, but why am I suffering. When you're the one going through it, you know that you want that answer. It feels different than maybe just logically talking about it. When you're actually going through it, you want that answer of, God, what are you doing this to me for? What's the point? And suffering, it's intensely personal. Um, it's, It's unique each time. My suffering, I could go through the same exact physical experience as another person, but we're going to read it differently. We're going to come from different angles on it. It's going to be personal to me. It's going to be personal to them. 
So for me to answer why are you suffering, each and every person in here is uh, just a fallacy to even try to do. That's silly. I can't. The most honest and concise answer that I can give you for why you're suffering is I don't know. And I don't want to lie to you today and act like I know. Okay? But I can tell you some of the answers you're going to hear and what might be true about them and what might not be true about them. The most likely answer you're going to hear when you go through suffering is there's a lesson to learn. People might not say it exactly that way, but they might say, oh, God's teaching you something. You've heard it, I'm sure. Well, God might be teaching you something. That's true. Um, That is certainly a tool in his bag to um, cause suffering for there to be a lesson. I'm sure there's some parents out there who understand that sometimes you've got to cause suffering for someone to learn the lesson, right? However, is all the suffering that your children go through because you're teaching them a lesson? Not even close to the majority of it, right? The vast majority of suffering they're going to go through is not something you caused on purpose to teach them a lesson. Furthermore, if you are teaching them a lesson, do you just go in their room and spank them and say, figure it out? If you do, you're a weird parent. <laughs> don't do that. Explain it to them, right? And likewise, I don't think God is, is saying, aha, going to send some suffering in their life, not going to tell them why, hope they can figure out the puzzle. That's not the kind of God we serve. He's not a masochist, okay? That's not what's going on. Please don't ever feel that way. Don't try and figure out something that's not there. If there is something to learn, it's probably going to be obvious. He's probably going to show it to you. I'll give you a personal example from my own life. When I was in my early 20s, uh, I was a financial mess. I was going through major financial hardship, major financial hardship. Do you know why I was going through major financial hardship? Because of major financial stupidity. The lesson was pretty obvious, folks. The reason that my landlord wanted rent that he didn't have was because I was being dumb. The lesson was easy to learn. It was obvious. It wasn't something where I had to go to a guru to figure it out for me. Everybody was going, hey, dummy, start honoring God with the way you use your finances. And I was even thinking that to myself. I know the lesson here. So I want, I want to make sure you understand that. If God's teaching you something, he's going to make it obvious. There's a lot of times, though, that that is not what's going on. I would hazard a guess to say that the vast majority of the time you're going through suffering has nothing to do with God causing it so he can teach you a lesson. That doesn't mean he can't teach you a lesson in it, but I don't, I don't think that's the vast majority of the time why you're suffering. So the next thing that uh, you're, you're going to often hear, feel, see is this, uh, this idea of the law of return or uh, the westernized version of karma that you're probably familiar with and you wouldn't say you believe, but we actually all kind of start to believe it a little bit and we actually think it's a biblical principle. This idea, as Justin Timberlake once put it, that what goes around comes all the way back around, right? You know the song. Don't act like you don't. Anyway, um, it's not true, okay? That is not at all something that's in the Bible. And I know you're sitting here thinking, well, it sounds like something that I've read in the Bible. 
I know it does, but that's, that's a disservice to the Bible to treat it as if no matter what happens, if you do a certain amount of bad, you receive a certain amount of bad. You do a certain amount of good, you're going to receive a certain amount of good. I disagree with that, and I don't think that's biblical. As a matter of fact, I would, I would go against that and say, what about the early Christians who stood up for Jesus and were, were sacrificed for it? Were they supposed to be learning a lesson? Were they getting what goes around comes around? Not at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus repeatedly in the Bible goes out of his way to say, if you do what is right, you'll be persecuted for it. It's the opposite of the law of return. You're going to do a good thing and you will get a bad thing. So this idea, please destroy it in your head. It's not biblical, okay? Suffering is not a result of karma. Am I saying that you might have a sin in your life and that can't possibly be the reason for your suffering? No, that's not what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, if you're going through something and something keeps popping up in your head like, I wonder if it's because I'm doing this. Well, it doesn't really matter if that's why you're suffering. Stop doing that thing, right? Clearly your spirit is being stirred by God to say, there's something wrong that I'm doing. If there is, we should stop that. Regardless of whether or not our suffering will stop right now, that's something we shouldn't be doing. But your suffering isn't a result of karma. That's not biblical, not even a little. God did promise a system kind of similar to that where those who do good will be rewarded with good. Those who do bad things will be punished for those bad things. However, it's really important that when you're reading the Bible, you understand that he didn't say that will happen here and now. That's an eternal consequence, okay? It's not something that we can just make it a nice, wonderful, easy pattern to follow. And I'm sure that there's somebody somewhere out there right now who's going, man, I, I, I'm missing a loved one. I'm going through the pain of the loss of a loved one, or uh, there's joblessness out there, there's disease, uh, people who are lonely, who are suffering loneliness, uh, people who are suffering financial problems, cancer, um, all kinds of things, and you're sitting there saying, you didn't tell me why, and you are 100% correct, I didn't tell you why, I can't tell you why. Um, the problem is you're asking the wrong question, it doesn't really matter why. It doesn't matter why. It solves a little bit of that curiosity in our head, but it doesn't matter why. It's still going to hurt. When my grandparents died, I know exactly why they died. It wasn't a mystery at all. It still hurt something fierce. I loved them. I miss them to this day. They were great people. What good does the answer do there? Not much. And, and we do this because it's the easy thing, right? Um, I want to, if I hear somebody else going through suffering, I want to be able to give them an answer and solve it for them. Or when I'm going through something, I want to be able to find a quick answer so it doesn't happen anymore. But that's actually doing a disservice. I can't tell you the amount of times that very very well-meaning people who loved us and were trying to, to stop our suffering have told Jamie and I all kinds of solutions for the pain we were going through. And 
even if they were solutions, which they weren't, and, and again, I appreciate them, I tried to see their heart, but it wouldn't have mattered. I still would have been going through severe pain. You see, even if, um, even if we had uh, eaten gluten-free, uh, used essential oils, uh, prayed the prayer of Jabez, and waited to get pregnant until the moon was in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, and we got pregnant and had a baby, there would still be pain. That baby doesn't replace the one that we lost. That's, it's, it's right to be hurt over that. It's silly to act like, oh, well, I've gotten answers, so no more pain. No, we can't get rid of pain. It's part of this life. Those, those quick solutions don't actually provide solutions for pain. They shouldn't, at least. So easy answers, they don't exist. It's a dishonest view of pain. We can't save each other from it. We can't save ourselves from it. There's not an easy pattern. There's no way to avoid it. If there's a lesson learned, sure, we can learn it. And if there's sin in our lives that we need to get rid of, we should get rid of that sin regardless. But we can't solve the problem of pain. Only one person can, and that's God. And hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. He said he will. I absolutely love this. There's this imagery, and uh, we start at the beginning of the Bible. I'm going to go to the end now. We're going to go to Revelation. And there's this, there's this wonderful imagery, and I'm going to set it up for you. It's Revelation 21, those of you who are uh, flipping to it, Revelation 21. And... Uh, let, me, let me set it up real quick. Revelation is an apocalyptic prophecy book. Uh, it can be difficult to decipher sometimes uh, because there's so much uh, imagery and symbolism in it. This section, though, is actually kind of nice and easy because it's, it's past all that. And this is a pretty evident part of what John's saying where he's talking about uh, at the end of time when, when we're in heaven. And so listen to this. It's pretty great. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And I want to stop right here before I finish out. Hopefully you understood what happened here. Beginning of time, God creates a perfect situation for us. We mess it up. Suffering enters the world. End of time, suffering is in the world. God ends it and comes back to dwell among us. Now there will be no more suffering again. Okay? He's reversing this. He's ending it. And here's what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's pretty cool. If you didn't know why you were here this morning, that's the hope, folks. That's what we should be excited about as Christians, that, okay? I love this imagery of of God recognizing that we're going through pain. He's not saying, all right, well, now uh, that's done, so let's move on. He took the time to recognize and give this imagery to John. I understand you've been through pain. I'm going to wipe those tears from your eyes. 
That's a pretty cool image for me that God will wipe the tears from my eyes. He understands my pain, and he's the one who personally will solve it. That's pretty awesome. It gets me excited about the then, not the now. So what's the point of your suffering? To get back to that, um, if I'm being honest, again, the answer has to be I don't know. Uh, if there's a lesson to learn, learn it. Um, but understand you can't make changes that are going to keep you from having suffering in your life. It's just not something that can be done. There is a plan, though, for it to end for all of eternity, and that's worth fighting for. That's where your faith should be, not in what you can figure out now about it. Figure out the end, okay? So if we follow that, okay, yes, I, I understand you, Pastor Pete. You're saying there is going to be suffering, we see that in Genesis. And you're saying it's not necessarily this wonderful, easy-to-follow cause-and-effect thing, um, and you can't necessarily tell me why I'm suffering. Okay, fine. What am I supposed to do with it, though? And to me, this is the best question you can ask because it's the only one you can actually control. You can't control whether or not there is suffering, and you can't always know why, but you can do something about it. Okay? This is the most important question. That's why I'm going to set up shop here uh, until we end. It's important to know what to do with suffering. And this is the point that I'm going to drive home, and hopefully you understand it by the time we leave. Christians should know how to suffer and die better than anyone. I'll say it again. Christians should know how to suffer and die better than anyone. And some of you aren't getting excited about hearing me say that. I get that. But listen, we're all going to suffer, and we're all going to die. There's no getting around that. So what makes Christianity different? Well, what makes Christianity different is we've got a book full of examples of it for us. Not only that, and here's the most important part, what differentiates Christianity from every other world religion wherein all their people are suffering anyway is our God and Savior modeled it for us and took part in it himself. That's pretty cool. Okay? But if you're not understanding me and you don't under, understand what I mean about the Bible being all about suffering all throughout it, and you, you know, you've heard Job in your life, and you're like, oh yeah, Job, that's about suffering. There's more than that. Let me run down a really, this is a shortened version of a list of people who have documented suffering in the Bible. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Rebecca, Rachel, Joseph, Samson, the entire Hebrew nation, Moses, Hannah, David, Tamar, Elijah, again, the entire Hebrew nation. Jeremiah, Job, Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Hosea, the entire Hebrew nation again. Jonah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, Paul, Silas, Stephen, Timothy. Pretty prevalent. Furthermore, the largest book of the Bible, Psalms, smack dab in the middle of it right there, you've seen it. Huge book of the Bible. It's all these songs written to God to express things of them, uh, to him. Almost 50%, almost half of the largest book of the Bible is one type of psalm called a lament, which is to cry out in suffering to God. This is not something that's hidden, folks. And yet in Christianity, there's this inescapable and unfounded idea that we're all supposed to just be these, these wonderful, shiny, happy people. God bless you, brother. 
doing good. How are you this morning? Woo! Why aren't you smiling? What's wrong with you? You're a Christian. Get over it, right? If you're suffering, put your head down, and we'll talk about it real quick. We'll pray one time, and then move on. You should be done. Get back into the joy of the Lord, right? I don't know where that is in the Bible. That's not something that's there. But it's this ridiculous Christian uh, thing that we do. It's kind of like the macho man thing that us men do. You know the one I'm talking about. I do this every time. When Jamie brings home groceries, all 20 bags in one trip. <laughs> no way am I going back to the car. And if she asks if I need help, I got 20 bags. I can't walk. I can't open a door. I can't do anything. She asks if I need help. Nope. I'm a man. Pretty dumb, right? And yet we do the same thing in church. Hey, Joe, how you doing, man? I, I, I've been praying for you. I heard that you lost your job and your dad got diagnosed with cancer. Well, praise the Lord, I'm better than I deserve to be. Hallelujah, living the dream. That's weird. You're not doing good. You're doing bad. It's okay to say that. Can you imagine? And I know this is ridiculous and a little sacrilegious, so stick with me for a second. I know that. But can you imagine Jesus up on the cross going, oh, blessed to be a blessing today. Hallelujah. That would have been really, really weird. He didn't do that. Instead, the Bible talks about him specifically when he went through suffering. What happened when his friend died, when Lazarus died? Did he say, Oh, it's all good. He's going to be in heaven. He graduated. I'm happy. He knows Lazarus is going to go to heaven. He knows that. And yet, what did he do? He wept. He wept openly. He missed him. It hurt. If it's okay for Jesus to hurt, is it okay for you to hurt? I think so. Absolutely. What did he do in the Garden of Eden? Let's, let's read about it. Okay, we're going to go to Matthew 26. You're like, man, he's all over the place. Beginning, end, now he's at, okay, yep, I know. Matthew 26, this is the Garden of Eden. This is uh, right after the Last Supper. This is the last time that Jesus is going to be with the disciples before he's uh, crucified and whipped and all those horrible things that he's about to go through. And he knows it's coming. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 37 is where we're going to start. And it says, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. How do we know he was sorrowful and troubled? Read the next line. Then he said to him, my soul is very sorrowful. Jesus didn't hide it. He flat out told him, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Well, where's the joy of the Lord? If anybody should have the joy of Jesus, shouldn't it be Jesus? Right? But instead he's saying, remain here. Watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's saying, I, I'm having a hard time handling this. So again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, asking, if there's a way, I'd rather not but I'll do what you want me to do. And I think when we read this, 
uh, we, got, we get this vision, at least I did when I was younger, I would, I would get this vision of Jesus like going into the garden with the disciples and they all like fall asleep over here and he goes like 200 yards away in this little part in the secret bushes where there's a circle of trees around him and no one can see him. And he says this stuff secretly to God like, ooh, I don't want anybody to know, but I'm really worried and I'm sweating blood and uh, it, ooh, it's really bad, but I don't want anybody to see that. Uh, please don't read the Bible that way on this because if he wanted to hide it, why did it make its way into all four Gospels? This is something God wants you to see that Jesus suffered. He wants you to understand it was something he didn't want to have to go through, okay? And he follows an example. And those of you who, uh, who went through uh, how to read the Bible for all it's worth, you, you saw some of the, the way that in Psalms they lament and there's like a pattern to it. And Jesus kind of had a similar pattern to it that I think we need to model based off of him. And it goes like this. Number one, be honest. Be honest, okay? You aren't doing yourself any favors. You aren't doing anybody else any favors. You aren't doing God any favors by hiding your suffering. Be honest about it. It's okay for you to suffer. That doesn't mean that you can't have the joy of the Lord and suffer at the same time. They aren't two opposing forces that can't happen. They actually happen together. When they're both happening to their fullest, they happen together. Okay? Number two, ask God to take your suffering away. You're like, well, I already asked once. Well, Jesus asked twice. Can you ask more than once, maybe? I've asked thousands of times on one, and I'll share more about that in a minute. Ask. If nothing else, it's good for you to say to the one who can change it, this is the person I'm going to bring it to. This is the one who can actually solve suffering and will solve it someday. So ask God to take your suffering away, just as Jesus did. Number three, and this is where it gets tougher, folks. Trust in the Lord no matter your outcome. You have to be okay with the fact that you won't always get it to go your way because you're not God, and this isn't heaven. Your faith can't be in the now. If you base your religion, your faith in God, off of the answers of the now, it's not going to work out very well. You have to believe in the then. If you don't believe the end of the book, then the rest of this is a waste of time. I'm just being honest. If you believe in Genesis, you need to be believing in Revelation. God didn't just leave us here and this is the end. There is an end, and it's way better, folks. So you have to believe in that and trust in God no matter the outcome. And I just want to end by showing you a personal example of this from my own life, from Jamie and I's life, and uh, luckily, she's sweet enough to let me share this. Um, and I don't want to say this because we're, uh, we're the model couple that you need to be like. Uh, we don't have Christianity down. If you don't believe me, come visit our house. You'll, you'll get there pretty quick. Uh, but we have had uh, uh, plenty of opportunity to learn in our suffering. And um, I think that God has taught us some things. So here's an example. When we started going through our, our issues with infertility, it could have been something that we hid because it was a little bit um, almost embarrassing, shameful, um, painful for sure to, to talk about it with people. Um, but uh, we decided that we were going to share it with other people because it just seems like it's something that isn't talked out about a lot, yet a lot of people go through it. Um, so we talked about it. 
And uh, we shared our story even on Facebook, which um, is crazy to look back and think that we were willing to be that open about that. Um, And not all kinds of suffering can you do that with, so don't hear that today. But we shared it. And in our sharing it, what we ended up doing is we got a chance to minister to more people through that than any other thing we've ever done. Because we shared our pain, we had an opportunity to minister to more people than any other thing that we've ever done because there's a lot of people out there who are suffering and feel like it's wrong because we're all sitting here going, I'm good. So just by speaking up, somebody said, ah, I'm also not good. And they were able to be blessed by us. And here's the other side of it. We've been more blessed by people through being honest about it than you can possibly imagine. I'm talking about hundreds of people praying on our behalf. Not exaggerating, hundreds of people praying for years now, years now, to the point where when I go over to their house and they pray for dinner, their kids forget that we're there and their kids say, and we pray for Pete and Jamie to have a baby. And it breaks my heart and it's the most awesome thing that I get to see sometimes because I know it's been a pattern in their life for years they've been praying for me because we shared it. We were honest and open about it. And folks, we've asked God to take it away continually, just like those kids praying for us and their families and so many people. And it's not something I do because I'm like, oh, well, the Bible, there's a pattern that says, I guess I should ask for God to take the suffering away. No, I, I pray from the, the bottom of my heart. I want God to know where I'm at with this. God, please take the suffering away. Please. It's a heartfelt prayer every time, I promise you. And it hasn't ever been answered to this day. And that hurts. I'm not going to lie and act like it doesn't hurt. It hurts. And that's where I got to get to part three. I got to trust in God no matter what. And uh, it's been hard, but there's, there's what Jamie and I have, have called a put-your-foot-in-the-dirt moment. When life just hits you and you just say, you know what? Bring it. I'm right here. And that's what you have to do in those moments where you're suffering. You've got to put your foot in the dirt and say, Lord, I know this is going to hurt, but I- I'm following you no matter what. And, and so last, last year when Jamie and I after so long, we finally got pregnant, and it was this wonderful thing that we thought was coming our way, and then miscarriage. And it absolutely tore us to bits. Just tore us to bits. But we knew what we were going to do because we've already practiced it enough. And you know what we did? Exactly what anybody else would do when they were suffering. We cried our eyes out. In our living room, in our car, on the way to the doctor's office for days afterwards, for months afterwards, we cried our eyeballs out. And we asked the same questions everybody else asked. Why, God? Why, 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 why? But we didn't stop there. There's a third part that we have made part of our process of putting our foot in the dirt. We get out one of our favorite songs that we've played so many times at this point, uh, that I'm surprised it doesn't make that weird sound that tapes used to play when you overplayed them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We play this song. It's by Kirk Franklin. And uh, for us, it works. It's a, it's a modern-day psalm of lament. And um, we just we love the lyrics to it. And it goes like this. The chorus says, I know that I can make it. I know that I can stand. No matter what may come my way, 
my life is in your hands. With Jesus, I can make it. With him, I know I can stand. No matter what may come my way, my life is in your hands. And we sing it. And you know what we do when we're done with that song? We play it again. You know what we're done with that? We play it again, and we play it again, and we play it again, and we play it again until we believe it. And that's all I can suggest to you today is that you find your own song of lament. You put your foot in the dirt and you say, God, no matter what's going to happen, my life's in your hands. And the reason I believe that that's okay, and the reason I say that this is part of how Christians should be able to suffer and die better than anyone is because this is a following a model that Jesus gave us. Okay? I believe that that's a model that Jesus gave us. Because when you look at his, his life, how it ended on the cross, intense suffering. I mean intense suffering. He's dying on the cross, and you know what he says? The same thing all of us say. Why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus asked that of God. What's going on? Why are you doing this? Jesus himself felt that pain, folks. But you know what he did after that? His last words, into your hands I commit my spirit. My life is in your hands, is what he said. My life is in your hands. This hurts awful, and I don't know why it's going on. I hate it, hate it, hate it, but my life is in your hands, God. There's some of you out there today that um, you're, you're, you probably came in, and when you saw the suffering, you said, good, someone's going to talk about it, because I need to know why, and I need to know when it's going to end, and what's going on, and what's God doing. And maybe I didn't answer that for you. But I, I hope that you see this and you say, I need to make a stand. I need to put my foot in the dirt. And instead of asking those questions and hoping I get the right answer that I'm looking for, that God's going to say, you know what? It doesn't matter. There's an end coming. Stop believing in the now. Believe in the then. Put your foot in the dirt and say that my life's in your hands. Some of us need to do that this morning. So I'm going to do something we don't always do. Uh, so if you get weirded out by this and you're like, I'm never going back, don't worry, we don't always do this. But if that's you today, if you're somebody that's suffering, it doesn't have to be the worst suffering in the world, but you're suffering and it's been hard and you haven't known what to do with it, I'm asking you today to make a statement. I'm asking that you're going to stand up and those of us who are suffering, we're going to all stand together and I'm going to pray over you. And then when it's all said and done, what I'm asking is that if there's a person next to you standing and you're not standing, why don't you ask them what's going on that you can pray for them? We're, we're a family. This is something where we carry each other's burdens. It's not something that they should be suffering alone. So if that's you this morning, I'm challenging you right now. Stand up wherever you are. And we're going to declare to God, no matter what, God, this suffering that's been hurting, I can't stand it. I don't like what's going on, but my life belongs to you. And I believe in the then. I'm not sucked into the now. I'm believing in what you have for me eternally. My life is yours. This suffering doesn't win. And I'm going to pray. God, thank you. Hallelujah. That you, you showed us this suffering. You modeled it personally for us. Thank you for that. And Lord, as I see these people that are out in front of me, and I know there's others too. Lord, my heart breaks. This is my family and they're suffering. I hate seeing that. I hate hearing that. 
It's not right. This isn't what you made us for, and you know it hurts us. And Lord, I'm praying this morning that you're going to support them and you're going to be there with them. But more than anything, Lord, I pray that you hear from the depth of our heart that no matter what, this suffering will not knock us off course. Our life is in your hands. We're going to keep crying out. We're going to keep crying out to you. But I hope that you hear this cry of our heart, these people who are bravely standing and saying, nothing's going to shake me off this. My life belongs to Jesus Christ. And Lord, we do pray that you would ease the suffering of each one of these people. And if for some reason that's not what you have for them right now, Lord, that you would give each and every one of them the strength to endure it as Jesus endured it. We know that he modeled it and he endured it to its fullest. So Lord, give us that strength to endure this so that we can honor you in our suffering, that we can suffer well, that we can grieve in a way that honors you until the day that we meet with you again. And we're grateful that we know that you're going to take those tears and wipe them from our eyes. And Lord, we believe in that and we're ready for that. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for being here with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.